0: James chapter 1. So I'm getting everybody standing up. Let me say thank you for the text and the prayers this past week. Um, I uh, was a blessing to get to get away for a little bit and spend some time with the family, but I'm not as young as I used to be. And uh, we were snow tubing last week. And. You would think that's a pretty benign activity. And it is until you put an eight-year-old between you and you decide to go down on ice that's not really soft and you go feet first. And Ellie and I were up on the, this little hill. It was, I mean, it is not much of a hill at all. And I'm like, you know what? Well, I'll pick the, 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 the less steep, the whatever, the, the hill that has very little slope to it To go down will be safe, it'll be fine, but it's not smart to go down feet first. And I'm thinking this the whole time. And so we get on, we're going down, and there's a young man at the end of the thing, and about halfway down he's hollering at me, and going, slow down, slow down, slow down. And I'm like, I can't. Like, there's literally no way to slow down. My feet are straight in front of me. If I put my foot in the ground, something's going to happen, and my leg's going to be the thing that gives. And he continued to holler at me that I was doing something wrong, and I'm like, fine, Lord, it's, this is going to hurt. And so I stuck my leg in, and it did no good whatsoever except to pop my uh, leg. And fortunately, the Lord was, was good. Your prayers were answered. I have just a very mild tear of the MCL. Don't have to get surgery. am supposed to wear a brace for about three or four weeks, and then it should heal up, and so it was a blessing. But... The guy get down to the bottom. The guy goes, I told you to slow down. I'm like, how do you want me to slow down? My legs hurt. And he said, I get to the bottom and he's hollering at me. And I'm like, look, man, I just hurt my leg. He goes, well, get out of the way. And I'm like, I don't even know if I can stand up. (laughs) He goes, I don't care. Get out of the way. And I'm like, like, it's my son behind us. He can wait. I don't mind him waiting on me. There's not 300 people up there. There's, I mean, we're out there in like 40 mile an hour winds and kids are being blown off the ride going back to the top. I mean, it is a bit chaotic. And, um, you know, it's North Carolina, so it's not really snow, it's ice. And I'm like, this is insane. And then here comes Manning down, and he immediately hits me in the other leg and knocks me back down. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, praise the Lord. And, um, and so we're going to preach on being faithful in trouble tonight. <laughs> All right, James chapter 1. James chapter 1, and look there in verse 2. It says, my brethren count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect worked, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Brother Manny, would you ask the Lord to bless the message? Lord,
1: thank you again, Lord, for the kind of prayer that we have, for those that have been lifted already. Uh, Father, and thank God. Well, we thank you, we have an ear with you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for even what the testimony... We've heard already in prayer, and then Brother Woodard as well, how you uh, interceded there, God, and kept him on his feet. I thank you for healing him up and, and continuing to heal him. We come to this hour now, and this message, I, Lord, we as we listen tonight, with the request, it's such a blessing to have an ear with you, and knowing Amen. that we have a God that we can pray to, Amen. and Amen. thank you for the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the sacrifice, Lord, for our sin, all that's been done for us to be here tonight in this building. In this assembly, this body of believers, is because of you. And we give you all the glory for that. We thank you, Lord, that we can come to you. Ask for your help with our brother tonight as he preaches. God, I pray you'd use him. Be with our preacher, Brother Donovan, as well. We want to keep that in the, in the, uh, in the front of our, our mind and senses, God, that their safety would be uh, the utmost getting them back. But in this hour, I pray for uh, Brother Wooder to be used. And uh, I pray, God, that we'd, uh, we'd get something from it as well. Thank you for a good day. Uh, Lord, from the from the time we got here and the messages this morning. And uh, Lord, for just helping us. For thanking enough of us. Lord, we feel special, but we're not special. God, But you are so grateful. We're so grateful. Lord, that you treat us like only children. God, individually or personally. And help us with our problems as well. Thank you, Lord, for who you are to us and, and the steps that we had with you. In uh, Jesus Christ's name, amen. amen.
0: Amen. You know, I've found in my Christian life, that it's not typically a catastrophic event, a rogue wave, some massive thing that gets me out of fellowship with Jesus Christ. I found that it's typically getting tired of the way, getting weary and well-doing, and just kind of letting some things fall by the wayside. And I've, as I've gotten older and, and had the opportunity to be in the Christian life a little bit of time, I've, I've realized that it's not that big thing that's going to get me out. It's going to be just getting routine duty, just mundane things in life, and just getting tired of dealing with all of the junk that comes along with living life. It's just the everyday routine stuff that just like, when will this ever stop? When will ever I be able to do something and not have to worry about the effect of what I'm doing? When will I be able to just think whatever I want to think and it'll be okay? And the reality is that doesn't happen in this life. There is not a retirement plan in the Christian life. The retirement plan is heaven, is eternity. But while you're here, there's a work to be done. And it doesn't matter whether you're newly saved and just got saved in the last couple of weeks or you've been saved 50, 60, 70 years, there's still more ground to conquer. You know, I think about uh, Caleb over there in the book of Joshua, and they get into the land. And I mean, here Caleb is probably in his mid 80s when they move into the land and conquer the land. And here he is in his 80s, and you would think, you know what, he'd be happy just getting his piece of ground dedicated to him and just, you know, a little house on the hillside and live out the last few years of his life just watching the, you know, the kids and grandkids raise up and try to follow God and and take over where he was at. And he goes, no, I'm not satisfied with that. Hey, Joshua, if you don't mind, I want that mountain. And from what the Bible tells us, the place of that mountain, if you go look at it, it's not a little hill you just climb. It was a pretty rugged, steep place that he had to go up to traverse to get to the top of to conquer the enemy. And here he is in his 80s and he's going, you know what, I'm not done. And I'm, I'm thankful for the older saints. I'm thankful for the faithfulness of the older saints. Because they're not falling out of the way. Because they're setting a pace and they're saying, you know what, I'm not done and God's not done with me yet. And it's a blessing to have somebody out in front of me that's continuing to walk in the way, continuing to work in the way, continuing to follow Jesus Christ as best they know how, to go, you know what, if they can do it, I can do it. If somebody who's 20, 30, 40 years in front of me can still stay in fellowship with Jesus Christ and still find a way to serve, then my 40-something-year-old body ought to be able to get up and go. And I'm not going to let them keep me from going because you know what i've realized in my position in life and my, i know brother sam and brother russell has of where we're at we're in the middle ground right now we got people out in front of us and we got people behind us and there's people in front there, the people out in front of us have, have have plowed the way and we don't want to let them down by getting out of the way, and, and they're being a void between us and the next generation. And the generation behind us isn't ready to take the, take the plow yet, isn't ready to take the sword. They're still learning, and they need us to make sure the ground stays soft, so when it's their turn to plow, they don't have to work as hard as, as they would if the ground's not plowed. But that requires us being faithful. And I fear in my Christian life, and I, and I, I think you fear in yours, of becoming what I call a show-pony Christian, I looked up what show pony is. I've heard the term my whole life, but I was like, you know what? Let me get a definition of this. A show pony is a person who appears to perform well, but has no real ability. 2 Timothy 3.5, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. You got show pony preachers. They can get up, they make a whole lot of sound, a whole lot of noise, and get you riled up, but when, there's, when, you're, when, the, when you walk away, there's no meat left on the bone. You have show pony singers who get up and they make the song about themselves instead of about ministering other people. You have show pony teachers get in the classroom and they make the class about their reputation, not the young minds they're influencing and raising up. And then you have show pony saints who every time they show up, it's always about them. Well, I'm, I'm, in, the, I'm in the ditch again. I need help. I'm in the ditch. I'm in the ditch. Well, when do you live outside of the ditch? I mean, we're going to get to the ditch in a minute. Brother Russell brought that up this morning in Sunday school. If you weren't here, you ought to listen to it, but I'm going to give you some ditch theology before it's over with. But the reality is, too many Christians today are satisfied with where they are, and they're happy being a show pony. They realize that they're better than most. They realize they know more than most people. They realize that, they're, that, they've, that they've got something most other people don't want, and they prefer just to show off what they have, than to be an ox in the in in the in the row and plowing and getting dirty. Because a show pony doesn't typically get real dirty. A show pony, you know, he gets a he gets a pretty little bath when it's over with. I mean, my daughter rides, she she's learned to do some dressage. For you southerners, that's dressage. But it's a show pony, it's this little prancing. You know, and they play music, and they spin, and they go sideways, and they go this way. But if you put it out in the field and put it to work, what what use is it? Nothing. It just is a prancing little pony, and you know, oh, it can you know, it it can sway to the beat. Great. I need I need a pony that I need a horse that'll pull the pull the plow, pull pull the plow. I need a horse that'll help me get the stump out of the ground. I need a horse that that'll still keep us going in the right direction. I need something that'll work. I need something that when we get out of the field and everything is going chaotic, he doesn't he doesn't lose his he doesn't lose his ability to trust me and goes where I tell him to go. You know that show pony? You can fire something off and you know you shoot a gun and all of a sudden it's what's going on and it'll lose its mind and it only thinks about itself. But, you know, you get a good gun horse, a horse you can ride when you're out hunting, it doesn't matter what's happening around it, it goes, you know what, my job is this. And it stays on task and it stays where it's supposed to be. And, you know, what i found about most show pony saints that I know is God's given them a specific ability and an amazing talent, but they choose to do anything to develop that talent. They're happy just being right where they are. And, you know, it's great when you're a show pony for just a little while because you're, you know, everybody goes, oh, look at them. They're wonderful. I mean, they have a great ability. It's just, it's just so amazing. And you watch them, and in, in a couple of years, they're still doing the same thing, and in five years, they're still doing the same thing. And in ten years, you look back and you go, that guy's still doing the same thing he was doing ten years ago, and he hasn't changed at all. I don't want to be here ten years from now, and you go, well, Brother Woodard's the same Brother Woodard he's always been because he hasn't really developed what God's given him. I hope that I'm not the same preacher I was 20 years ago when I first came back from Bible school. I hope that I've gotten a little bit better. That I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not not Brother Sam. I'm not the preacher. I'm not Doctor Ruckman. But I hope I'm not woodard from 20 years ago. You know, Paul says that he said, "I wish that you were forward where you were a year ago." How about it, Christian? Where are you at in moving forward in your Christian life? What is it that's pur- that's pushing you on? What is it that you're allowing, Are you just just show pony in it? And in this passage, I got to begin to look. And I don't, I don't think this is the answer of all answers, but I think it is an answer. And I think that the Christian life, part of the answer is how we respond in times of trouble. How we respond in routine duty. How we respond in the mundane activities of the day. How you respond when life happens. You know, Brother Sam made mention of this this morning, but the reality is when God adds something onto your plate, or when something's added onto your plate, it does not mean that the other duty gets to diminish I was coming to church, I was saved in coming to church before I got married. Just because I got married didn't mean I had to stop coming to church. And guess what, my wife and I, we were both better spouses before we had children. But it doesn't mean we stopped being spouses when we had kids. We're still married, we still have responsibility to each other. But we also have the responsibility to raise the children. And then as you grow as a Christian, when God calls you to do something different, that doesn't mean you get to stop doing other things because God's given you something else. No, it means you have to continue to maintain those things and also do that as well. That's growth. You don't look at a tree and you cut off a branch that's bearing fruit because, well, he put another branch on over here. You know, hey, you go, hey, there's two branches now, and they're both bearing fruit. But so oftentimes in our Christian life, we want to let go of one thing so we can have something else. And Brother Sam, I don't mean to contradict what he said because he's 100% right. Sometimes in our own lives we have added things that God didn't intend for us to add and we need to let go of those things. But there are certain things that God's put on you and you want to dump one thing that God's given you to take something else. And that's not how the Christian life works. When God gives you something, he doesn't say forget this and move on. Listen, this is not like where you get promoted at work and your responsibilities change from this job to another job. No, you get promoted in the Christian life, it means you still get the same responsibilities, but now you, have to, now you have a little bit more. Because you get a little bit more duty, a little bit more responsibility. And so in this passage, I got to looking at this and how we respond to some things, how we respond to trials in our lives will help determine where we are faithful. If you always look at trouble and go, gummit, not again. There's no growth there. James says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Look over at uh, Hebrews 12. And listen, I don't mean that when trouble comes, you just jump up and down and you're excited and go, oh, thank God, I got a flat tire. That ain't normal. You know, I'm not on the side of the road worshiping Jesus because I got a flat tire. But I also don't have to cuss because I got a flat tire either. You know what, Lord, I don't know why I got a flat tire. Clearly, I need to slow down. Thanks for reminding me I need to slow down. Praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord that's over with for the day. You know, I'm around the illustration my granddad used to tell, used to tell about the, the guy that praised God for everything. And one morning he's coming out of the school hall and some of his buddies are like, we're going to shake him up. And they stuck a broom handle across the door of his dorm room and he walked out, he tripped over the door and rolled all the way down the stairs. And, they, and he, when he got to the bottom, he dusted himself off. Like, man, he's fixing to let it go now. And he stood up and he goes... Thank God that's over with for the day. That can be that, that's the right response. Not thank God I fell, you know, a flight of stairs and busted my head. No, it's thank God it's over with. I, I don't know what I'm supposed to learn, but thank God it's over with. But in Hebrews 12 he says look in verse uh, number 10 he says for verily for they verily for a few days chasing us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Brother Sam mentioned this morning that passage over there. He says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. And I got to thinking about that. And, and, the, and he also says a couple chapters before that, there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And, I, and in looking at this passage and, and looking back at James, I got to thinking about, you know, the Lord, Lord certainly bore some wounds for you and I. He says in Zechariah chapter 13, what are these wounds in thy hands? And he says, these are the wounds which I I received in the house of my friends. We put the wounds in his hands. And it says here that he chastens us, but for our profit he chastens us that we might be partakers of his holiness. He gives you and I an opportunity to partake in the thing we can't possess of ourselves. There's nothing holy about you and I except he lives inside of us. And he gives us a chance to be a partaker of that. He says, Now now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down, and the feeble knees, and make straight, your paths, make straight paths for your feet, lest, they, that, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but rather let it be healed." Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Philippians 1 6 says that being confident of this very thing, that he which begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. You know what? As long as you're still having trouble, it means you're still breathing, it means there's still time to get something done for the Lord. It's never too late to start doing something for Jesus Christ. It's never too late to, to get on the right path, to go in the right direction, to be thankful for what the Lord puts on you. It's a blessing, it's, it's, a, it, it, it's, it's a reason to be joyous that, you know what, God's not through with me yet. You know what I mean? There's plenty of times when you're falling down and things are, things are just messed up and it's like, you know what, I just want to go home and sit down. But you know what you can be thankful for? He's still working on you. You may, you may think, well, I don't know why all this is happening to me and he goes, because there's something about you I'm trying to fix. There's something about you that, that I need. There's something in there that's, that, I, that I'm trying to show you. There's something I'm trying... And you know what? Maybe it's not even show you. Maybe it's I need to teach somebody else. There's something about your character that I want somebody else to see, and I need that. I think about Joseph down there was mentioned this morning in the jail. Those two guys needed to see somebody that relied on God and not relied on their own wisdom. Those two guys got to see something that nobody else got to see. They got to see God use a man in a place that he didn't belong to. He didn't deserve to be where he was, but God said, you know what? I'll use him right where I've got him. Joseph, it looks like, well, why do you have me in jail? Because the Lord saw two or three years down the road, there's going to be a couple guys who I need to get a message to. That's why Paul and Silas are singing in prison because there's a Philippian jailer. They don't know who he is. They don't know what's going on until the earthquake happens. And then all of a sudden God opens the door and reveals to Paul, hey, there's I got you in jail because this guy needs to get saved. Paul wasn't singing because he was in jail. He was singing because he knew he was right where God wanted him to be. And folks, sometimes God wants you to be right in the middle of trouble. Sometimes God wants you to be in a place that He can use you to help somebody else. Sometimes He wants you in the place to use you to reveal something about you 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 will refuse to see. How you respond to trouble says a lot about your character. And thank God He puts trouble on you a lot of times where other people aren't paying attention. Because your response is not always the right response. The way you look at trouble is not always the right way. But when you mess up, you go, you know what? I didn't really do that right. Thank God nobody else was watching. But God goes, well, at least least you got the lesson. At least you realize I'm still using you. At least you realize I'm still communicating with you. Yeah, you messed up here, but don't worry. This classroom will come around again, and maybe we'll get it right next time. I don't know about you, but there's some classrooms in my life that have come around quite a few times, and I'm still working on the right response let's just say we ain't got it right yet we ain't graduated that one but you know what God had not stopped sending me in the classroom well you can't pass that one you just quit no let's work on what he's good at and then we'll bring it back around when we think he's ready and we'll see how he does the next time that's one of the things I love most about the Lord is he's not done it's not over until the fat lady sings. It ain't over until I'm done breathing. Till you're done breathing, you still got a chance to get it right. Doesn't matter what soup sandwich you've made, there is still a chance to get it right. You know, it's a, uh, he says, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. When you fall into those temptations and those temptations are trials, tribulations and sometimes are temptations. But you fall into those struggles and you fall into those difficulties. You know what I found is that you have to recognize your position in order to get out of the place you're in. You have to realize he says fall. That means you're down. That means you're stuck. You're you're in the ditch. And you know, I don't know about you, but uh, I've had an opportunity to be in the country a little bit, to ride some four-wheelers. And when I was a younger man, now Manning, close your ears, you don't need to hear this. Do what your daddy says, not what he did. But when I was a younger man, I looked for the dirt. I looked for the mud. I looked for the place to run that machine off into to see just how good I was or just how weak of a machine I had to see if I could get it stuck. I mean, we were in the country, like, we had mudding competitions on Saturdays where they literally took a bulldozer and dug a hole and filled it full of water and made mud and you tried to see who had the baddest machine to get it through. And when I was a young man, I loved it. You would just rev up, get it up on two wheels on the rear and run it in there as far as you could and mud goes everywhere and it was awesome. But as I've gotten older, that don't appeal to me like it used to. I'm sitting there looking at the mud hole going, thank God I didn't die. Because sometimes when you're riding down the side of the road and you decide to run off in the ditch to just test it, you don't know there's a culvert there. And I know some guys that hit a culvert and they're no longer with us because they didn't see what was in the mud. And there's some places where I was where I probably should have hit a culvert and God moved the thing one way or the other and I didn't hit it and I missed it and the grace of God kept me out of it. But, you know, I found as as I've gotten older, you know, I enjoy, I I still enjoy riding four-wheelers. It's fun. But I'm happy putting the kids on the back, riding down the road, just letting the wind in your hair and, you know, just enjoying seeing things. I got Manny over there going, Dad, 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 over there, over there, over there. No, 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 I'm good. Because if I run this machine in there, not only might I get hurt, might you get hurt, I might have to fix this machine and that costs money. See, when I was a young man, I could run the machine in the ditch and it didn't really matter because I had Dad to pay for it and fix it. Well, all of a sudden, dad goes, you have a job, now you get to pay for it and fix it. And then all of a sudden, it didn't become quite as much fun as it was. It was still fun, but it wasn't quite as much fun. And now it's like, man, I know what it took for me to pay to get this, and I don't really want to see it torn up at the moment. I kind of like to enjoy it for a little bit longer. But I see that in the Christian life as we get older and we get comfortable just staying on the road and comfortable just going down the road and all of a sudden we've got some experience on us and we can see the ditch over here and we can see the ditch over here and next thing you know we begin to rely on ourselves we begin to rely on well as long as i stay between the lines it'll be okay i mean you know there's a ditch here there's a ditch there oh they're fixing to get in a ditch over there you begin to see other ditches in other people's lives but you don't realize you've fallen into the ditch of pride in your own life 'Cause you've gotten complacent. You've gotten, well, you know, I mean I, I can get myself out of this, I can, you know, it's okay, I can I can ride this ditch, it'll be all right, and you know, and you and and what I've found is sometimes you fall into a ditch and you don't even realize you're in the ditch. I mean the ditch can be comfortable. I mean when you're down in that ditch and riding and you you know it's there's not a whole lot of tension, there's not a whole lot of resistance, you know, that machine begins to float just a little bit and you don't even realize you're in the ditch. And you're there, and you're, you know, the wheels are spinning, but you ain't making a whole lot of motion, but it looks like you're going fast to you, but everybody else around you, they're seeing you just spin your wheels and spin your wheels and spin your wheels, and, your wheels and nothing's really happening. I mean, you get, you get a really good mud hole, or you get that thing stuck up, stuck up on a stump, you can press the throttle as fast as it'll go, and it'll spin, 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 but you ain't going nowhere. You're just sitting there dead still, and nothing's happening, but you're still stuck in the mud. And what I have realized is, what I see in this passage is he says, you fall into diverse temptations. You're down, which means you have, to, you have to begin to ask for help. And as American men, asking for help is like the... I mean, at least Southern American men, you just don't ask for help. I'm willing to help other people, but I don't need your help. I'm good. I'll help you, whatever you need. If you need a tool, you need a piece of equipment, I'd be glad to help you, but I'm good. I'll, I'll figure it out. No, you need to ask for help. You have to humble yourself. You have to go, you know what, I'm, I'm stuck. I mean, I, every time I stuck a piece of equipment, stuck a, stuck a four-wheeler, stuck a, a UTV, whatever, RTV, whatever you want to say, I had to go call somebody else to get me out. I didn't just get the piece of equipment out on my own. There was a few times in a little couple of small mud holes I could pick it up and set it over and get on some good ground, but for the most part, every single time I had to call somebody else and ask for help. And you know what I find in the Christian life we begin to rely on ourselves and we get ourselves out of the ditch instead of trying to ask God to get us out of the ditch. Look over at James 4. James 4 and look down at verse number Look down look down at verse number 6. He says, "But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble." Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. You gotta humble yourself to get out of trouble. You gotta go, you know what, I can't get out of here on my own. I mean, I can remember some times I literally just happened about a week or two ago. I had a guy deliver some stuff to the house. He dropped it off and through no fault of his own, he, he didn't know. He doesn't know my property, doesn't know where we live. And he literally just backed off into a mud hole off the side of my driveway and buried a dump truck to the axles. I mean, all eight tires on the rear end just spinning. And I get a text from him like, I'm stuck. And I'm going, let me turn the camera on and see if I can see where he is. And I see him and I'm like, there's no way he's getting out of there. There's no way he's getting himself out of that hole. He just doesn't have the ability to do it. I immediately hung the phone up. I'm like, you know what? I might as well just head to the house because he ain't getting out of there, and it's going to be, be a mess. And fortunately, I had a big enough piece of equipment. We got out there. We hooked a big snatch rope to him and began to ease him out of that hole and ease, ease him out and ease him out. And when he got out, there's mud everywhere. He's got stuff all over the truck. And I'm going, thank God we didn't break nothing. Because you know, whenever you put something in the mud, you never know how it's going to come out when it gets out. And once it gets out, then you've got to figure out how you're going to clean up all the mess. And, you know, sometimes it's just spraying a little water on it and getting the dirt off. Sometimes it's replacing a rear axle. Sometimes it's replacing something else, fixing a flat tire. You never know what it is. And you know what, Christian? Sometimes when you're helping somebody out of a ditch, they're going to be banged up and they're going to be busted up. And it ain't going to be the prettiest thing in the world. But if you'll turn over to turn over the Lord, He'll wash them off. He'll heal them up. He'll give them what they need. If you'll turn yourself over to the Lord, He'll heal you up. He'll, he'll fix you up, and He'll give you what you need, and He'll get you out of the ditch. But you've got to humble yourself. You've got to go, I need help. It's like when the Lord went to the blind Bartimaeus and goes, What do you need? Clearly, the Lord knew what the guy needed, but He wanted to know Bartimaeus need to do what he needed. Same thing with the lepers. The Lord wants to know, hey, what do you want from me? Do we make me made whole? The, Lord, the Lord, Lord sees your problem. He's all-knowing, sees all of it, but he needs you to recognize you've got a problem and you need help. Because that's part of humbling yourself is going, you know what, Lord? Here's what I see. Here's the problem. And I don't really know how to fix it right now. And you know, there, there's... It's a blessing because there's times in your life the Lord will, times in life you're stuck in the ditch and the Lord will send somebody to help you get out and there's times that you get to help other people get out of the ditch. But you have to hand over authority to the Lord. He says in uh, 1 Corinthians ten thirteen, but God will with the temptation provide a way of escape. You have to rely on Him to show you the way. You can't find your own way. Because what you think is the right way may not always be the right way. What you think is the easiest path, the easiest path out of the ditch may not be forward, it may be backwards. But you have to rely on him because he's seeing what you don't see. And you have to go, you know what, Lord, I'm here, whatever direction you think is best, I'll go that direction. You have to give up authority in your life. You can't make, any, you can't make the decisions. You have to go, Lord, which way? What's, how do I get out of here? But you know, not only is it a response, not only is a recognition. There's remember the benefit of this. Go back to James chapter one. He says, "Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience." I don't know about you, but trials cause you to slow down. When trouble comes, you have to stop and take it, take it, take stock of what's happening. Look at the trouble and go, "Okay, how am I going to get out of this mess?" It's like when I hurt my knee this past week. I didn't I when we were up there I had no thought of being coming home injured because when we came home I knew I had X Y and Z that had to be done workwise and we had all of these things and we've got a building over here that's getting back moving and there's you know a, just a ton of a ton of stuff going on and I'm not really thinking about slowing down. The my idea of sitting at a desk for 8 hours and accomplishing the little things was not something I really thought about As a necessity. We've got multiple projects going in different places. We're starting things in different cities. And I'm like, why in the world am I needing to sit down? Because the Lord had some things he needed to get me to slow down and see. So that I'm not running so fast I miss a turn out in front of me. That I'm not running so fast I I miss the next step or I I miss something that's going on. And Christian, sometimes God just sends a trial your way because you're running so hard, you're running so fast. You just got to slow down and take stock of where you are. You know, Preacher uses the illustration about the motorcycle about going slow. It's a great illustration. Anybody can ride that motorcycle in a straight line and fast. That thing will almost begin to balance itself where you can just take your hands off of it, put it on cruise control, and it'll run down the middle of the road if it's running fast. But when that thing's going slow, all of a sudden your weight shifts a little bit this way or this way, and that machine begins to shift a little bit this way or that way. And you begin to make the errors where you're out of balance begin to show themselves. And sometimes in the Christian lives it's just showing, showing slowing down. Sometimes turn over, turn a couple pages over to 2 Peter chapter 1. Look at verse four, he says, Whereby are giving unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that these that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, and beside this giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to your to your virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they may they they make you that you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes trials reveal what needs to be pruned off. Reveals what needs to be cut out of the way. You've heard me tell the illustration before. My dad grows some pecan trees. And um, when you're growing pecan trees or pretty much any kind of fruit tree from what I've learned, they'll put off this little bit of growth and it looks exciting to see some new growth, but but we call it they, they call it in the... Science, whatever they call them, suckers. It's a, little, it's, a little, it's a little limb that shoots out off the side. It's not really up in the main growth of the tree. It's somewhere down lower on the trunk. And it shoots out and it sprouts. It gets these really pretty leaves. And sometimes it'll be four or five branches. And you look at it and you go, man, there's, there's going to be some fruit on there. And, you, and the re- realization is, no, there's no fruit coming on that thing at all. All it's doing is it's a sucker. It's just sucking nutrient, but it's not going to produce any fruit at all. It's just a drain. And you know what? Sometimes in your life you allow some things to grow out and, and 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 to other people go, oh man, he's he's really blossoming there. She's really she's really sprouting over here, some things are really going on, and the Lord's going, no, that's just a sucker. We need to cut it off. And you know what? I, I've never had anything cut off that it didn't hurt. You know, there every time you prune something, it, it leaves a mark. But sometimes you need the mark left to remind you that, hey, that was just a that was wasted effort. That was a drain. It was just drawing something out of you that was not necessary, that was that was, just un, it was just a sucker. You know what? Sometimes that's a person you need to cut out of your life. People are good suckers. James chapter 1, back to verse 4, he says, But let patience have a perfect work in you, Perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. The result of the right response is twofold. There's a present growth. There's some fruit that's produced now, and sometimes it's not visible to everybody else, but sometimes it's only visible to you. Look over at Hebrews chapter 5. Turn just a couple more places. Hebrews chapter 5. And I know this is talking about Jesus Christ, but look at verse number 8. It says, Though he were a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. We can learn to be obedient. You can learn to go, you know what, it's not my will, but thine be done. You can learn to pray the prayer that Jesus prayed in the garden and say, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. Turn over to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. You learn to be obedient. In Matthew, he tells you, you can learn how you treat other people with impartiality. You don't, You don't judge based on their status. You look at them. Um, Here in Philippians chapter 3, verse number 12, he says, "...not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after that I may apprehend, for that which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus." Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if anything, you be otherwise minded. God shall reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Turn back over to the book of James. There's some things that Paul says as you grow as a Christian, your attitude changes. Your attitude towards trouble changes. Your attitude towards where God's brought you from changes. Your attitude toward where God's taken you changes. You begin to look at things through the the mind of Christ, through the eyes of the Lord, not through your fleshly physical eyes. You begin to do things that the world goes, why in the world do they do that? Because they don't see what you see. And you know what? You you begin to realize you're not like everybody else. You're not normal. And I don't know, that is the, the craziest word in the world because nobody's normal. Whatever your idea of normal is, is not normal. Just ask me. I'll tell you what's normal. No, whatever is normal is normal to you, but it's not normal to everybody else. How you live is not how everybody else lives. That's why we all live in different houses. That's why some people paint their house purple, some people paint it pink, some people paint it white. They're not normal. Everybody, every, God leaves all of us in our own way. The Christian life is a unique path to you as an individual for something God has prepared for you that He doesn't have prepared for anybody else. Every one of us is a unique part of the body of Christ. And every one of you has a purpose God wants in your life. And Brother Russell, a nose hair in the body of Christ is used to filter. It keeps the trash out. It keeps disease from getting into your body. And a pinky toes for balance, but every one of us has a part in his body, and if a part gets sick, if a part gets diseased, it doesn't get cut out. It needs to. It needs to realize that, there, that there's help, and the help comes from whose body you're within, which is the body of Christ. You have to lean upon Him to show you what's wrong, to show you where you've messed up, to show you where you've gone. You have. Every one of us is a soup sandwich at some point in time in your life. There are times in your life where you look like you have it all together. And there are times in your life where you hope nobody realizes you don't have it all together. And you're going, Lord, please don't let them see what's inside my head. Lord, please don't let them see what I'm thinking at this moment. And you know what? The grace of God covers a multitude of sins. And the grace of God, thank God the judgment seat of Christ is not about your sin. Thank God that we'll never face it. It's under the blood, and you won't ever see that dirty, rotten sin again. But there is something the judgment seat of Christ to look forward to, and that's a reward. There's an eternal benefit to enduring trouble, to enduring tribulation, to enduring temptations. There's something to be said for going through the things that God allows to come into your life. Sometimes God's permissive will in your life is to let you go the way you're going so he can reveal something about you. Because you know what? God's God's not looking three steps in front of your path. He's looking eight, nine, ten, twelve steps in front of your path. You ever played chess with somebody who's really, really smart? It's ridiculously annoying. Because they're already thinking about six or eight moves in front of where you are. And you're going, well, if I move here, I'll do this. Or if I move here, I'll do this. And all you're thinking about, well, if I go here, he might go there and you're thinking about the next couple of moves, and a, and a chess master is 8, 9, 10, 12, 12 steps down the thing, and he's positioning things on the board so that when you finally move the queen, king, whatever you're moving into place, you're already dead. Well, that's the Lord. He's already looking way out in front of you. And he, know, he knows, you know what? If he's on this path, it's going to lead out of that place, and, there, and that's a place I need him to get to. The Lord doesn't have to make you do things. You'll naturally find yourself in a place where you need God. And then you can either learn to rely on Him or learn not. But the, the thing I've seen in the Christian life is when we begin to learn to enjoy, when I, I look at the Apostle Paul and he says, For the joy that was no, that's Jesus Christ, for the joy that's set before me to at the cross. The, the Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy that there is henceforth laid up for me a crown of righteousness that the, Lord, that the Lord shall give me at that day and not to me only, but all them that love is appearing. And why can Paul say that? Because he delayed gratification from the here and now to the hereafter. He said, you know what? I don't want it right now. I want what God wants for me so I can have what God wants to give to me. And when Paul's laying on his deathbed, and I realize he got his head cut off and he didn't die of sickness, but when Paul's laying there knowing he's fixing to die, he can confidently say, God's going to give me this crown when I get there. It's not a, well, I hope when I get there, maybe I'll get something. No, Paul knows I live my life for Jesus Christ. Yeah, there's some, there's some things that are going to burn. There's some decisions I made and got out of his will. But you know what? I can say without a shadow of a doubt, I'm getting this crown. He can say it confidently because he trusted God in his life. Not that he was perfect in how he lived every single second of the day, but he was perfect in his way and that he followed Jesus as best he could. And He's he's not perfect when when James says here that you're perfect, entire, wanting nothing. That means you're, you're where God wants you to be. Not that you're sinless. It's not sinless perfection. Sinless perfection doesn't happen until you get to heaven. Our job right now is to just walk in the way and go, Lord, what do you have for me today? That lamp sits out in front of you. It reveals for you the next step. I mean, you can make all the great plans in life and you can put your money away and you can save for a rainy day and all those are good things. But the reality is, you don't know what's going to happen in the next three minutes, much less in the next three days. I didn't go to North Carolina thinking I was going to injure myself. I knew about 30 seconds before I did it was going to happen. That's how far to the future I could see. About 30 seconds. And probably it made me like 15. My wife has a video of it and you can see. (laughs) We could get the exact second of it. I'm like, this is not going to end well. I saw trouble and I went anyway. I was an idiot. But Paul saw where he was headed, and he knew the reward he had declared for him. The uncertainty in what you're going to get at the judgment seat of Christ is because there's uncertainty uncertainty in how you've lived your life. You're uncertain now because you know you've leaned on yourself more than you've leaned on the Lord. You know, we were, Manning and I were, um, I guess Ellie was there too, we went to this place uh, called the Mast General Store, in, up there in North Carolina, pretty cool old general store kind of thing. Something from, something before my time. Um, had RC Cola and Moon Pie and all, through, all Moon Pie all throughout the store. I mean, just wrapped together. You know, get a RC Cole, you get a Moon Pie. Like it, you know, just just how it is. And I mean, those are good. I had those when I was a kid. But this was a general store. I mean, they had this. They had the little nuts and bolts that you pulled out. The scale you weighed them in. You know, and, and the kids love because you bought candy by the pound, and you know they had the old scale hanging from the ceiling, and you dump the candy in it to see how much you got, and you know you tell your kids a half pound, and they put three pounds, and you know, and you're having no, you have to dump that out, and you know they've got the old the old bottled cokes and the old bottled, you know, uh, what what is the Dr Pepper two nine and ten or something, um, I don't forget what that one, anyway, but they had Dr Pepper in the bottle, they had all those kind of different things, and it was a pretty cool place, but. On the far side of it, they had a knife shop. They had all of these knives in the display cases. And I'm, I'm walking in there and I'm looking at them and I'm like, you know what, this is this is a pretty impressive knife, knife collection. I mean, they were selling them, you could buy knives and those kind of things. But it got me thinking, until you take the knife out of the case and use the knife, you don't really know how good the knife is. As long as that knife stays in the case, it's just a... It's a pretty knife. It's just a piece of wall art. It's a dust collector. It's a knickknack. It has no value until it's taken out of the case and put to use. And I got to thinking about that in my Christian life. I don't want to just be a piece of wall art. I don't want to be a show pony. I want God to use me. And if I wind up muddy when I get there, I wind up muddy. But at least I'll know God used me. At least I'll know he tried me, he showed me where I was weak, and he, and he, and he did some things to me. You know what? Uh, listen, I, I love a good sharp knife, but a knife every once in a while gets dull. And it has to go back on the stone, and you have to sharpen the knife. Sometimes in your Christian life you get dull, and guess what? you got to get back on the stone and let God sharpen you again. Sometimes you got to let the Lord go, you know what? We need to shave a little off here, we need to shave a little off here. Sometimes it's just a leather strop and he knocks a little thing and he gets gets the the edge back straight and you're good to go. Sometimes it's, you know, some 8,000 stone and just a little bit here and there, just get a little shine back on it. And then sometimes it's the grinding wheel and there's sparks flying and everything's going on because you've beat yourself and, you know, banged it into the wood and you've tried to cut granite with it and whatever else. But at the end of the day, a knife is only as good as what it's used for. And if it's never put to test, it's of no value whatsoever. And Christian, God puts you and I to the test to see what we're made of. He puts us to the test to give us a chance to give Him glory. To get up to reveal how amazing our Creator is, that we have a friend that puts wounds on us, because He knows those wounds are for our benefit. He knows that those difficulties and those things will reveal something far greater, far sweeter, far better than anything you and I can produce of our own accord. You know, I've heard this said about roses, but a rose that's made inside of a greenhouse doesn't smell like a rose grown grown outside. Because that thing in the greenhouse hasn't had to endure any trouble. It hasn't had to go through any pain, any difficulties, any, any trials. It's just had all the perfect environment around it all the time. But that rose that's been outside and weathered the cold and weathered the heat and not had enough water and had too much water, when that thing puts on a flower, it puts off an odor that, that pleases everybody around it. It's enjoyable. It's pleasurable to be around. And you know what? If you think about some Christians in your life that have been beat up and they've been weathered and they've been through some things, you know what? It's a blessing just to be around them. You get, a bu- you get around a bunch of Christians that don't really ever do anything Conversation typically falls flat, and it's pretty miserable. It's like this was of no value to me at all. But you get around some old saint, young person who's been through some things and been some stuff, and you listen to them tell stories about what God's done for them. I mean, I, I think I think about the opportunity that that Brother Sam and Brother Russell and myself get when we get to sit around preacher and hear him tell us stories about the old preacher and things he saw God do. And I man, it's like, man, I I want that. I I want I want that. And I've had to realize, you know what, in order to get that, there's a lot of struggle along the way. You don't get just to show up and get that. There's a lot of effort between here and God showing himself that way. Moses didn't get to top of Mount Sinai in ten minutes. It took him a couple days to hike up there to get where God wanted him to be. And you know what, if, in order for you to get where God wants you to be, you're not going to get to ride the gondola of life. You're going to have to climb the mountain. And you're going to have to go through some struggles and you're going to have to go through some times. And you know what? You're going to count when you get to the end. I don't want to even say when you get to the end. As you grow as a Christian, you will begin to count it all joy when trouble comes. Because you go, "What you know what? This is another chance for me to give God glory. This is another chance for me to show how good God is to me. This is another chance for me to show why Jesus Christ is my Savior. It's a good chance for me to show why there's nothing better than serving Jesus Christ in this life. And you go, man, thank God for that. And thank God for that. And thank God for that. And it's not thank God for the car and thank God for the boat and thank God for the stuff. It's, man, thank God for God. Thank God that Jesus Christ is my Savior and I get to go to Him anytime I want. I don't have to stop. I don't have to go through anybody else. I don't have to get dressed up. I can just walk into the throne room and go, God, I need help. He goes, All right, where are you stuck at? Out on the back 40. All right, let's go. I'll get you out of the ditch. And he shows up every time. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Let's stand up and we'll be dismissed.